Hey, this is Billy West, and you're listening to Too Much Scrolling. You're one stop for this sort of thing. I'll see you in the future. Greetings from the year 3000. It still sucks. Scrolling for February 20th, 2024. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Hessenflow. We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. This week, Chip, my favorite thing that I posted on social media, I found the Chuck E. Cheese pizzas frozen in the frozen aisle at the grocery store. Everybody was clamoring. Chuck E. Cheese frozen pizzas. Well, the price point is also important, Steve. They were three for $10. <laughs> yes. So that is the price point you're dealing with. The worst part of Chuck E. Cheese you can have at home. <laughs> one of the comments, one of my favorite comments is, uh, am I eating the box or the pizza? I can't tell. Well, yeah, the beautiful part is we don't have to go to Chuck E. Cheese anymore, kids. Our kids are too old. And uh, when you get back to the time when you can go to Chuck E. Cheese, maybe you'll choose not to. Maybe the grandkids. The grandkids will want to go to Chuck E. Cheese. We'll see. They're taking out the animatronics, too. Ah, They take out the animatronics. I'm out. I, I'm, I'm all about puppetry. Are they really? Yes. Isn't that terrible? What a terrible... Ah, oh, society is crumbling around us, Chip. <laughs> Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. Chip, guess who went to the movie theater this weekend? Well, Steve, I am so happy you went to the movie theater this week. Steve, what did we see? We went to go see Bob Marley, One Love, the biopic of Bob Marley. And I, I suggest this movie highly. I am not a huge fan of Bob Marley's music, but the message of all of his lifestyle choices that were presented in this film, I am all over this. There's a mellow crowd, Steve. Everyone seemed to be like really vibing and having a good time. I agree. I agree. I enjoy the idea of Bob Marley as much as I enjoy the idea of Elvis Presley. And this film was produced by the family of Bob Marley. Ziggy Marley came on screen at the very beginning to explain how happy he was to have us there to watch this movie and how he was on set every day to make sure that the story of Bob Marley was told the right way, which means that they left out certain aspects of Bob Marley's life. I'm sure they did, Steve. And I th that's what the, one of the challenges of putting together a, a film like this. I mean, how do you focus? Do you focus on the person and their message? Do you focus on the music? Do you kind of give like a, you know, overview? And it seemed a little bit of an overview mm -hmm. of his life. You get a little bit of a snippet of a song here and a snippet of a song there. We just got maybe an overview of his life. But I, I really enjoyed how much of the process of music making we got in this one. That was my big concern with the Elvis movie was I didn't see the process here. At least there was this, there were many moments where Bob Marley 
got inspiration and got that moment as a teacher that moment is what i live for that moment where inspiration strikes and we saw that with bob marley especially with exodus that whole scene where he's like yeah let's go with that idea i enjoyed that we could have spent a little more time understanding the rastafari philosophy mm -hmm. i don't think they really did a, a good job at explaining sort of his transformation Okay. I, I think there was a lot of philosophy in this. I think that we spent a lot of time thinking through what his life goals were. You know, is he rich? Is he famous? Well, yeah, but that's not what he's all about. I, I, I was more specifically talking about the Rastafari mm -hmm. philosophy and how he went from, you know, this person to joining this this movement this political slash religious type of movement i get you i i hear you the, the i i can see that part of the story being important lashana lynch who played rita marley she was our strongest performance in this sure. film mm -hmm. tosin cole who was playing the keyboards was back there that was pretty exciting to see a doctor who actor thank you <laughs> and we also got to see um, how good his band was. Mm -hmm. One of the things that Bob Marley did, or they really showed real well, is how loyal he was to the people who helped him grow, helped him move forward. They went from the Whalers to Bob Marley and the Whalers to ultimately Bob Marley. Yeah. And, and he died so young, what, 36? 36, yeah. It, it really, what would he, you know, he would have been, he's, he would be a, I don't know, in his 70s right now? Certainly. The elder statesman? The elder statesman Bob Marley? I think that part of the legend of Bob Marley is because he died young. I think the same thing, again, back to Elvis. I think that an old, wise Bob Marley making music would be a, a different story. I think he would be writing music with Paul McCartney. He'd be working with Eric Clapton, things of that nature. Quincy Jones? He well, it's it's a different genre. I mean, he could work with Quincy Jones, but certainly, and while jazz reggae seemed to to be part of the show, the vibe was much more I don't know John Lennon ish that type of thing. And I love how they took the Motown sound and made that into that reggae sound, and we saw that transition in this storytelling. Get that clipping, and then sort of the evolution from that early 50s, 60s sound yeah. to the much deeper sound. Um, you know, the smoke filled sound still. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to say 58 out of a hundred for this film. This film is, it's, it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is, you know, going to be an Oscar winner or anything like that, but you know, the people around me, when I watched it opening night, they were singing along. They were very happy to be there. I think it, it was a very good film. I suggest this film to anybody that has any kind of inkling of the history of Bob Marley. I think it would have really benefited from subtitles. I think there's enough of the Jamaican accent in the performance that I missed some of the words that they had to say. And I think subtitles would have fixed that for me. I agree with you, Steve. This, this film could have used subtitles, which brings us to our next film. 
How to Have Sex. This is a movie, a uh, Northern England-based three British teen girls off on a rites of passage holiday doing all the things that young people do. And this one does have subtitles, even though it's in English. <laughs> that, that was my favorite part. <laughs> They're speaking English, Steve. But we need to read this. <laughs> Again, because that accent gets in the way. The, the meaning of those words gets muddled sometimes between all of our special accents. So if you wanted to know on a high level, this seems to be, and it isn't, I don't think they set out to do this, but kind of a rewriting of the 1960s film, Where the Boys Are. Hmm. Because we got all the beats. What do we have? We got a bunch of young people going on holiday, going down spring breakers type thing. They're uh, drinking a lot. They're doing sexy games. They're having a lot of fun. They certainly are not taking care of their bodies because you know what they're doing, Steve. They're having, you know, French fries at three in the morning, eating pizza with lots of garlic sauce on it, or, you know, whatever those things are. And then, you know, between that, they're drinking lots of alcohol and, you know, smoking a lot of that stuff too. So we got a lot of that going on. And these our, our story is these three girls, they're all going to have fun. One of them hasn't had sex yet. Oh, and that is, seems to be one of the interesting parts about this. Because like where the boys are, our film is moving towards ultimately a rape scene. Mm. And for this child, uh, I'm sorry, for this young person, there are two by the same person. And uh, basically the struggle that later on they deal with it. So early on in the film, we get the playfulness, we get the abuse that you do to your body. And then we also get a sense of kindness because, you know, think about what it's like to be young and overconsumed. Well, somebody's going to throw up. And there's this, this scene where uh, one of the boys takes her back to the, uh, the room and is sitting over the toilet. Right. And, um, as they're doing whatever they're doing, uh, you know, the person's just there, you know, smelling the smells, bringing you back to your use, Dave. <laughs> oh, boy, the feel-good film of the year. This, it, I, I understand what you're saying, that, that we all had those moments and we had those times to make these choices and to make mistakes and to learn from these mistakes. All right, so if we keep continue on this, there was a um, there was a beach scene where the first sexual encounter took place, and it was questionable. Yeah, they had been drinking and all this other stuff. That's not the one we're really worried about. We're worried about the later one because the the girl goes on her own. Tara goes on her own and kind of uh, becomes a loner at that point. Is hooked up with some kids who go, "Hey, you're by yourself. You know, we're going to look after you." Once again, that caring part that you want you want all your kids to do. But where it really comes in, and she's this she goes back and she's kind of struggling. And this boy and her are talking, and he really seems to have an interest. They have kind of an interest in each other. Um, but it's the other kid who comes in and she's asleep in the bed and he takes advantage of her. Mm -hmm. And her friends don't know this. They don't know what she's going through. And this is what our story is about, is that we go away on these types of events, you know, these, these, and have these wonderful experiences. And then some people have a bad experience. 
and how that changes them. And that's what our story is about. I say 65 out of 100. There is a message here. Um, our actress, Mia McKenna-Bruce, she is truly, could be a star. Um, I, I, I couldn't help but think of my kids watching mm -hmm. this. I'm glad that this exists. I'm glad that we can have these conversations about choices and uh, repercussions. And the last time I watched a film like this was Kids back in 1995. Oh, Do you wow. remember Kids? Sure, sure. That's that that's is like powerful. one of the yeah. scary, scary film. In fact, that film ends with a kid who knows he's got AIDS. HIV positive, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and he basically goes and has sex. Mm -hmm. He doesn't tell the people. It's awful. Terrifying. It's awful. Anyway, uh, it's these movies exist. Steve, let's move to something a little bit lighter. And uh, let's just say it's um, maybe not as good. When I was expecting to go to the movie theater, I, I texted you and I asked, should I go see Madam Web or One Love? And you said, uh, Steve, you, you need to go see One Love. Madam Web is, is not, uh, not a great film. So tell me what I missed by not seeing Madam Web. So I saw this opening night, Steve. Okay. Full audience. And let me make sure I'm clear on this. There was clapping at the end. So there is a group of people who enjoyed this film. Not this the film, This film is not a good film. And, and let me be very clear. It isn't the actor's fault. This is not the actor's fault. The actors should get Oscars on being able to perform some of the lines that have been written for them. Because they are so wooden, clunky, unusual... It goes back to that George Lucas moment where Harrison Ford goes, George, you can write this, but you can't say this. Yeah. And those actors who put this together, bravo to them. So this, this is, is a Spider-Man story, Spider-Man adjacent story about uh, a whole group of people having an adventure in New York, right? Well, it's not just a Spider-Man story. This is a Sony version of Spider-Man. There is something to be distinguished between the MCU, the Spider-Man rights are owned by Sony um, and they happened during a Marvel bankruptcy a long time ago. It doesn't really matter. This is a standalone film. I'm not even sure if it fits in the Spider-Verse, but it is the Spider-Man universe. D don't ask me to explain it. It doesn't matter. What we really have is really bad writing and really bad directing. And nobody caught this. That's what really gets me on this. And there are so many like wild parts to it that just don't make sense. The lot, the internal logic of the movie is the challenge. And because of that, you have a very difficult time following. The last time I saw a film like this, that was this bad was where the crawdads sing, where they just really got geography wrong. This isn't like cats and sugar rolls, that type of bad. It's just bad internal logic. So let's, let's go through it. Our, our lead is wanted, which is Dakota Johnson's character, Madam Webb, is wanted for kidnapping. She takes these three girls. She's in New York City. She's driving around a stolen cab. She eventually pulls the license plates off of it. Doesn't really matter. Okay. But she's in a stolen cab with three girls. Nobody sees her. She heads out, drops the kids off in a forest. Leaves, tells them she's coming back, goes back to her apartment. A stolen cab in front of her apartment, 
and she's a wanted criminal and and they're looking probably at her apartment so she goes to her apartment and nobody notices absolutely she uh comes back tells them she's going to go away i'm sorry she she checks into a hotel with the stolen cab with her real with her with her, you know paying for it however you really pay for it with these three girls she eventually flies to Peru, which means she had to go through, you know, buy a ticket, fly to Peru, come back with a passport, <laughs> with her name on uh, it, gets back in her stolen vehicle and heads back to these kids. Now, see, at some point, you would think that maybe, maybe somewhere <laughs> she could get caught, but it, it's just never thought that, oh, wow, that seems, that seems really unbelievable these um 20 year olds play high schoolers all loners by the way for whatever reason they are um are bad guy they've taken the spider-man scientific crazy story new york story mm -hmm. and made it this crazy spider-verse force like i don't know esoteric type thing it really has moved beyond it um it is such a bad movie in the sense that nobody caught the internal logic part, parts to it. Let me give you another part that I'm just going to briefly mention. The kids, the three girls, are out in the woods. They have a fire pit going. Because, you know, you just leave them out there. And then they go, we're hungry. Let's go, and we're going to walk around the woods and see if we can find some place to eat. Um, well, they just leave the um, the fire going. See, they've left a for they've started a forest fire. Did nobody notice? Just, I mean, <laughs> just unbelievable, okay. unbelievable. Anyway, forty out of a hundred. I'm being very kind to this film. Uh, Dakota Johnson has fired her agent for putting her in this, okay. and I think that this is um, it's a, it's a bad film, but you know, I, I I don't think it's the worst film I've ever seen seen worse <laughs> headline chip didn't like this movie but he's seen worse <laughs> it just seems like sony doesn't get these characters yeah not only does sony not get the characters the 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 director and the writer that they put on it or the writers it doesn't really matter mm -hmm. they just don't nobody catches how poorly these are thought out and put together it is a b movie that's not a b movie it's like a d movie not c d, a d. and that's crazy that's just crazy i got a chance to see something wonderful while you were watching that i got to see well, save us steve save us <laughs> I got to see my troop of actors, the kids that I had in class and on stage in middle school at their high school winter musical. They were performing something rotten this year. So if you're not familiar with Steve's work, Steve is a middle school teacher. He's got these kids. He, you know, they, they just become part of the musical as sixth, seventh and eighth graders. Mm -hmm. They eventually, you know, go over to the high school. And when Steve comes over for the high school musical, the energy in the room gets very exciting. It get, it gets, the kids are so happy to see, you know, this big gregarious teacher come back. And so tell me about their love of performing 
this uh, musical and knowing you're there. I am so proud. I'm so proud of these kids and what they have created on stage. Th this was a semi-professional level performance of this play. The Something Rotten was performed on Broadway in 2015. It's a pretty new musical and they gave their all for this performance. This story is set in 1595. It's the story of the Bottom Brothers, Nick and Nigel, who are struggling to find success in theater at the time where Shakespeare is king. He is just absolutely making amazing pieces of work on stage, and they're struggling to make it. And so the story goes, they hire a soothsayer to look into the future and find out what the future of theater is. And the soothsayer comes up with the idea for a musical. <laughs> and they didn't name it Oracle, Steve? <laughs> the idea of a musical is so shadowed in all of the history of musicals. We get a comedic silly run through the history of musicals. They talk about every musical that you could think of. They perform pieces of music from just about every show. And it is so entertaining. It is so much fun. And seeing my students doing this was so special. So is this a, a musical where they perform, you're saying they perform music from other musicals. So it allows a lot of, there's a lot of playfulness. You could, so you could continue to add songs in this yes if you wanted to yes and and wrapping it into the story of what they're doing in 1595 is brilliantly put together something rotten is is a special show that is going to be performed for a very long time and I, the other thing i caught from this review is how well they performed mm -hmm. yeah they they performed much better than an amateur group I agree. You're, you're, you're basically one level below maybe a uh, professional performing group. Which is so special. To have a high school musical, to be on the level of almost so close to professional. When I saw the kids after the performance, that's what I said to them. I said, you have created something special and you have created a lot of work for yourself because you have a future. This is going to go on. Your career is going to go on. You are going to sing like this for the rest of your life. And I am so proud. Book it, book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it, book it, book it. Brings us to our book it, our book of the week. You have been reading the book, Masters of the Air, America's bomber boys who fought the air war against Nazi Germany. This is published by Donald L. Miller, and it's the basis for the Apple TV Plus program of the same name, right? So our, our book was published in 2006. So if you're familiar with Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg, Band of Brothers, The Pacific, you know, they had planned to do one that would deal with every one of the military groups. This starts, uh, this is about the Army Air Corps and the beginning of the Air Force. So this is when, when the, the film starts, the Army Air Corps is part of the U.S. Army. 
and they really don't know what to do with this. Hmm. Uh, you know, we have these planes, they can drop bombs. How do we use them? You know, are they offense? Are they defense? Are they cover? You know, we don't know. This is the story of how they define what the Air Force would do, how they created strategy for it, the people who did that, the people who worked those planes, the people who 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 were the pilots, the creation of that military organization. And it is as good as you can imagine. By the way, if you're not watching the show on Apple TV+, Plus, it's on a very, very high level. What was a lot of fun is I would read the chapters and then, you know, maybe the next week the show would come on and it was dealing with some of it. They've rewritten it a little bit. But, you know, there's... Every chapter is dealing with something. So either the uh, the the people who put it together. So one of the the uh, gentlemen who was in charge of putting together the Air Force, he um, he fought for this. He was like, "We've got to have this. This is part of a modern military." And it got to the point where he was pushing so hard, he had to leave the military. They wow. forced him out, and he still was a person who just continued to push Congress to put this as part of the military. One of the benefits of the United States and this young military group was where these people were coming from. And they came from all over the United States, all different backgrounds. Doesn't really By the way, Clark Gable insisted on being part of the Air Force. And uh, he wanted to go on missions really bad. They, he went on missions. They were so afraid that he was going to die. So afraid. He was filming these missions, and he eventually put together a film for it to to show what it was like to, to be part of these units. And, um, yeah, they were glad to get him out of there. Not because because when he got there, he's a movie star. Mm -hmm. But and he, he insisted on, on, on being one of the military people. And so eventually he was, you know, they brought him in the fold. He's part of the group. Mm -hmm. But once again, to have a, such a high-profile person pass away would have been a really a disservice to the mission of this service. Kind of like Elvis being over there. Agreed. You know, if something would have happened to Elvis, oh my goodness, that would have been the story. One of the things we really need to know, or we, we should we leave this book knowing, is how dangerous military flight so i i want you to think of it. it's it's early 40s right mm -hmm. uh so we, we got world war ii going on you know 1907 is when the wright brothers flew so think about just that think about a person born in i don't know uh 1895 or something seeing an airplane fly seeing jets seeing uh supersonic jets and ultimately seeing a person landing on the moon yeah all yep. within their lifetime what an incredible thing to end up happening yeah technology was very quickly right there but at the time you're still saying that that these boys were really in danger in these vehicles and these were kids steve these were kids and they were mechanics and all this other stuff from you know wherever they came from but they were still kids they were being taught how to do stuff when you went on an airplane flight, you um, were up on your mission. That you left in the morning. You're going to go drop some bombs. 
you went through the flak with those are the bombs kind of bursting around you as you're going through. Then you have the German airplanes coming in who are trying to shoot you down. And you may leave with like 60 planes. And you may come back with 30. And wow. of those 30, maybe 10 of them are worthy to go back up again. They have to be repaired and ready for the next mission. And those people in there, you know, many of them died. Many of them were uh, you know, shot through the leg, shot through the face, whatever it is going on there. Uh, you, you think that the, you know, we, we watch so many movies where we really don't see the danger of, of flights. But imagine um, you were up there and, you know, you had to take your glove off and you had to touch something. Well, it's freezing up there. Mm -hmm. You get frostbite. You're, you're ripping your skin off mm -hmm. if you had to do that. Um, they had these jackets and uh, flight pants they had to wear that had electric wires in them so that they could try to heat themselves while they're flying. Wow. Well, they were also electrocuting them through there. So many of them were like trying to take them off or any number of things. It is so dangerous. But in between those missions where you're, you're seeing, I mean, you are beyond frightened. You would have maybe a day, day and a half, where you didn't have anything really going on. You you would uh, maybe you go and leave, and so you get some stories about people going and leave and going to London and seeing the world. Um, they would bring in some of the the locals, and they would do dances and all those fun fun things going on. So there was the latest music playing at the time, and it it just it is so frightening, and it brought me back to. One of my favorite trips with my grandfather. So my dad and my brother and I went with my grandfather to the Army Air Corps, get together in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm. And, you know, these people were up in age now. There's so few of them left. And they got together and, you know, my brother and I were laughing that all the planes, they have the, they have uh, either a skull and crossbones or some lady sitting in a, uh, a champagne glass or a, a martini glass who's half naked. And we were just kind of uh, joking about that because, you know, it just seemed to be so, you know, when you're with pilots and, and their crew, they, they can be a little, uh, they've got a little attitude. Well, there's a reason they have a lot of attitude. They were surviving yeah. and, and, and they were, um, they were making it. And one of the tough stories I, they, that was in this book my grandfather actually experienced something very similar is there was a whole group that went out one day from this base and none of them came back. Hmm. None of them came back, Steve. Hmm. They're all dead. Or I shouldn't say they're all dead. Many of them are dead. Some of them were uh, shot down and maybe they survived. If they weren't taken prisoner of war, they were put through groups trying to um, uh, get their way back to base. Uh, you can imagine because of the stress they're under, the amount of alcohol that gets thrown their way. You can uh, imagine the amount. Uh, there's a whole chapter in this book about the psychiatric um, challenges many of these people had. They would get back and they would go, I can't, can't get back up. I can't get back up. I can't get back up. And they would have to go and sit down with these doctors. Their doctors were, their mission was to get these kids back into the ability where they could uh, go back up in the air. This is a fascinating book. 
it's a fascinating show. Uh, I, I recommend both of them very highly. Um, we we don't always appreciate what those people go through. And so when you have, have those the military people come back from their missions today, it's just to be highly aware of many times they're put in situations that we would never want to be in. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly fighting Hitler, fighting Hitler was very important. And the beautiful part of our uh, world as it is right now is we can read stories of the German side too, of what they were going through. Um, very fascinating, fascinating, fascinating book and recommended. That's a lovely review. Thank you. That is the Masters of the Air, America's Bomber Boys Who Fought the Air War Against Nazi Germany, published in 2006 by Donald L. Miller. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. Let's lighten things up, Steve. Uh, yes, Chip. The it, Let's start with something fun. February 22nd, we are celebrating Tex Avery Day. Tex Avery, one of the legends of animation in the 1940s. So truly a cartoonist. Steve, what are some of the characters that Tex Avery was known for? All of those MGM screwball classics, the, the wolf in the red hot riding hood, 1943 is the one that comes to mind when I think of Tex Avery. Well, he was in charge of certainly the biggest of the big Bugs Bunny, Steve. Well, there were some Tex Avery Bugs Bunny cartoons for sure. And he certainly was a part of that whole circle of all of those phenomenal people creating uh, some of my favorite moments of childhood. Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, Elmer Fudd, Steve, Droopy, Droopy. Oh, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) That makes me very mad. (laughs) I'm happy. Woody Woodpecker, he worked on Tom and Jerry. Steve, I mean, he he certainly was, you know, the screwball-ish characters. um, Certainly played around a lot with the animation of that time. A lot more violent than it is today, Steve. And, and and I love thinking about how much violence we saw, cartoon violence as opposed to video game violence, and thinking about how that affected who we are, uh, the joy that I got out of, out of Tom and Jerry cartoons and watching those two characters just annihilating each other is something something in my history. Well, his name was Tax probably because he grew up in Texas. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what an uh, incredible person. If you've never read about Tex Avery and don't know what we're talking about, maybe it's a good time to to look it up. There's this magic thing called the internet, Steve. Yeah, we, we can do a lot of research on Tex Avery. He left behind a, a legacy of great, fun storytelling in cartoon form. There's a lot of things going on in the health market and a lot of, a lot of conversations happening this week. Let's talk about what Ozembic has been able to do in the market. Well, that was one of the interesting parts about this, this uh, news article that we found. This really had to do with basically how your brain works and the idea that 
people who are overweight, it may be much more than, hey, they didn't do enough exercise mm-hmm. or they're eating the wrong foods. You know, th- there is plenty of studies where uh, foods are designed to never satiate. So you just eat too many of them. But what what this is what we're really coming to is with with some of these new drugs coming on the market is that your willpower is being changed by them, and maybe maybe you as as an animal as a as a not as a thinking person but on a very uh, deep level are designed to um, basically be manipulated into overeating. Mm. into gambling, into uh, anything that's giving you dopamine that potentially could be bad for you. All of those addictions that we've talked about, the the idea that you have free will, that you can make choices, but then addiction comes along and you it takes away that ability to choose. So, in, in fact, the really the, the, the strong way to think about this is that if you looked at a person, and let's use an overweight person for an example, you made it a moral moment. They just they just don't care enough. Mm-hmm. They have abused themselves enough. But what this is showing is that, wow, that may not be the ultimate answer. It may be that they were led down this path. The idea that this medication can reveal that as not a choice at all, that food is a behavior that is not a choice at all is, is something that I've been thinking about for a while. I was listening to Adam Conover's factually podcast this week, and he had Stanford university neurologist, Robert Sapolsky on. And the topic was free will does not exist. And there's lots of people that think that these things that we think are choices, smoking and drinking and and food are not really choices that we're making The DNA uh, creating these situations. Well, Steve, this would be a good time to reveal our new sponsor, the temperance movement. That'll solve, that'll solve everything. All we have to do is get the alcohol off the streets and then no one will have it. Oh, wait, that didn't work out so well. Historically (laughs) did it. The self-restraint uh, model it wasn't going to be the success that we thought it was going to be, Steve. No, it didn't work out. It's, I am intrigued by Ozempic and, and all of the work that is being done with obesity and overeating and all of the other uh, very American things that we've been talking about here. I, I look forward to further study for sure. Sure. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. I think we can. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-410-4TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're on all the social medias. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hesemplot. <laughs> Not screwy squirrel. That's all, folks. We'll see you in the future. 